Welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Let's turn to 1 Peter. This is an incredible book. One of my favorite books. And for a variety of reasons. It was 1984. 83. I was in the city of Jerusalem. And I came to the end of myself. And I gave my life to Christ. Through the witness of some Jews... And Arabs who loved Jesus, loved each other, and loved me. And as a young disciple of Christ, I was 19 years old. I was working on a youth hostel in Jerusalem. Uh, I had this insatiable hunger for the Word of God. And I began memorizing Scripture. And I remember sitting on a big rock outside the old city walls of Jerusalem. First chapter I memorized was 1 Peter chapter 1. In this we greatly rejoice, though now for a little while we've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that our faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Paul, or Peter here, introduces the theme of suffering. He starts it in the first verse, and he talks about God's elect, chosen by grace, who are now exiles. And there's a reference there to the cost of following Jesus. But in verse 6 and 7, he now more formally introduces the theme that's going to carry through the entire book, which is the theme of suffering. More importantly, the role of faith in suffering. We often think about acquiring faith, the importance of acquiring faith, but not so often do we think about how do we develop and grow faith. Faith is important in how we engage and walk through suffering, and suffering is important in the development of of our faith. We're going to unpack that together as we think about this text together with Peter. First point, our faith is more valuable than we think. Our faith is more valuable than we think. He says it's more valuable, it's of greater worth than gold. Really? Our faith is of greater worth than gold? Do we believe that? Gold is worth $2,200 an ounce this morning. Is your faith more than that? Is it worth more than that? Is it more valuable than that? We had a family vacation. We rented a house on Christina Lake. 
my siblings, nieces and nephews, 20 of us in this house. It was owned by a gold prospector. He definitely suffered from gold fever. He'd been prospecting in northern Canada and been prospecting in Latin America. And for many years, he lived in Venezuela. And he developed a gold mine in Venezuela. He had made fortunes and he'd lost fortunes. He had lots of stories. So when he realized we were decent people, he invited me and my brother down to his basement apartment. He was living on the lower level, rented out the top level to us. And uh, so we sat in his apartment and he regaled us with stories. And after a while, he said, I got to show you something. I have to show you something. He turned around, he got up out of the, out of the chair he was sitting in, he went to the shelf and he pulled, he pulled off the shelf a brick of solid gold. 27 pounds, a brick. He said, take this. I took it, it was like, whoa, this is heavy. I said, this is solid gold? He said, 100%. Worth almost $1 million right now. Sitting on his shelf. And he had to tell somebody. Because what good is it just sitting on your shelf? Now, if your faith is worth more than that brick of gold, we have to tell somebody. Are you with me? The degree to which you're talking about your faith tells me the degree to which we value it. Are you with me? Peter says your faith is of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire. Gold needs refining and the impurities taken out for it to be uh, refined and made sellable. And so God's work in our lives is meant to bring that transformation to our faith so that we have something to share with others as well. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. I was at a, sitting with an investment counselor early in our marriage and didn't have much to invest, but we had a little bit and I wanted to get some counsel. And the investment counselor, I remember, looked at us and said, or looked at me and said, um, I got one question. Do you want short-term returns or long-term? That's the main strategy that's going to help guide the way I invest your money, short-term or long-term. I thought about that, and I said, I want eternal. And he looked down at his paper, and he didn't see that category anywhere. He looked up at me, and he wasn't sure if I was joking or I was serious, because I said it as straightforward as that. I want eternal. He said, well, we don't do eternal. <laughs> and I said, that's, I'm just realizing that's true. You don't do eternal. But that's where I want to be investing my, my resources. I want, I want eternal returns. Jesus, in talking to the church in Laodicea, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Now, this church was in a spa town. They were wealthy. And from their perspective, 
They, they had everything they needed. And yet Jesus, as he is speaking to this church through, through John, he says, you're wretched. You're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. From my perspective, you're not investing in eternity. You're investing in the temporal. And as I was thinking about this theme, I was thinking, who are we listening to? Which counselor are we listening to? Jesus is saying, will you vest in eternity? You go to a bank, and you're going to get different investment counsel. Peter had to struggle with this. This letter uh, did not come easily. This letter is at the close of his life, later in his life. And so he has gone through a lot of refining. And his story, like all of our stories, is a progression in faith. Let's think back earlier in his story. He, as we know, denies Jesus three times. He goes through the pain of the crucifixion, the confusion of the resurrection. He's told to go to Galilee. It says in John 21 that Peter convinces his friends to get back into fishing. Let's go fishing. Seven disciples sign up. And the word boat there is not the small little skiff. It's not the small little boat. The boat, word boat there is the large boat. Let's get the boat. Let's get the boat off dry docks. Let's get that boat back in the water. Let's get the big fishing boat going here. And let's get the team back into what we know. So they're fishing all night long. And they catch nothing. They see a guy on the shore. He's calling them. Hey, friends, caught anything? No. Throw your net on the right side. So they do that. And they catch 153 large fish. Somebody obviously counted. And they have a problem bringing it in. And then they, Peter recognizes this is Jesus, and he swims to shore. And they have breakfast, and then Jesus pulls Peter aside, and he says, Peter, she says, Simon, Simon, his first name, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? My question is, what are the these? What are the these? The word these is hutos, which is an inanimate object. Most commentators would say that these is the disciples. And Jesus is restoring Peter after denying him. Do you love me? Because Peter said, hey, these guys, these guys might, they might deny you. They might, you know, abandon you, but I'm not going to abandon you, not me. And we know Jesus said, you're going to betray me three times, and that's what happened. So this is possibly Jesus' restoration of Peter. And I think that's very, very plausible. But these could also mean the 153 fish on the beach. Do you love me more than the security of going back into fishing? Even though you're not very good (laughs) at fishing, Peter. Do you love me more than going back into fishing? Do you love me more than these? And Peter had to choose, and I have to choose, and you have to choose. What 
carries ultimate value in your life. If you're living for yourself, you're going to make decisions based on that every single day. If you're living for eternity, you're going to make decisions based on that every single day. Our faith is more valuable than we think. The word grief that Peter uses there. Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The word grief is the same word the rich young ruler experienced when he walked away from Jesus. Same word. What do I do? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, well, follow the commandments. I've done all that. Tell everything you got and come follow me. What? He went away grieved. He went away sad. So the choice is ours. Either we experience the grief of pursuing our own goals, and this world offers us lots and lots of things to catch our attention, lots of shiny things that get our attention. Or the grief of walking by faith with Jesus and having our faith tested. Either way, you're going to experience some grief in life, aren't you? The question is, is it going to have eternal consequence or value or not? Peter's saying, opt for the eternal. Choose the eternal. Second, he says our faith here, it's implied that our faith is more costly than we think. It's different than value. Our faith is more costly than we think. He says again, you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The implication is the trials have come because of your faith. The trials have come because you've chosen Jesus. And because of that, you're now exiles. And because of that, you've had to pay a price. Our faith is more costly than we think. Now, if, you're gonna, if you believe that your faith is valuable, you're going to pay a price to grow in faith. You're going to endure testing of your faith because you're going to say, it's worth it. This is worth it. This is the most valuable thing I've got. I'm going to endure testing because this ultimately is for my betterment. What does the testing of our faith look like? What's the largest covered, the oldest covered mall in the world? Oldest covered mall in the world. Some of you are thinking Seven Oaks. No, that's not the right answer. <laughs> Grand Bazaar, Istanbul, over 600 years old. 3,000 shops. I've been in it a couple times. Bargaining is taken to an art form in this mall. If you don't bargain, you are a fool. Everything starts up high, and then you negotiate down. And they love to bargain. And I got to tell you, it's an acquired thing. Like, it's an acquired taste. And I have, I've, I've gotten into it a little bit. And... Uh, <laughs> So I wanted to buy some summer loafers, like some leather 
summer loafers. I know Istanbul is the knockoff capital of the world. So all of Europe's clothing manufacturers make their stuff in Turkey. And they're making for Prada and all the big fashion houses, but they also have their own sidelines that are coming out of the factories. And they're for the local domestic market consumption. And they might say the brand name on it, but it's not the brand name. It's the knockoff. The question is, is it, the real genu- is it made from the genuine materials? So I want to get some leather loafers, not vinyl. The vinyl is very good. Very, very good. And you can hardly tell the difference between vinyl and leather. It's that good. So we're bargaining and we get down from like a high number down to a low number. And it's getting to the fine points of the bargaining. And I said, I don't want to buy vinyl. I'm not buying plastic shoes. They look good, but they could be plastic. And the shopkeeper pulls out his lighter, his cigarette lighter, clicks it on, puts the shoe right over top of the lighter and puts the flame right to it. You know what happens when flame hits leather? Nothing. You know what happens when flame hits vinyl? Melts. It was a good move. It sealed the deal right there. I bought them. (laughs) So how how does the world know our faith is genuine? How does the world know our faith is genuine unless it goes through the fire? Are you with me? How does the world know our faith is genuine unless it goes through the fire? That's what Peter's saying. The proven genuineness of our faith, like gold going through a refining process. Well, let's again look back at Peter's story. How did he express this? How was this lived out in his life? Acts chapter 2, Peter and John heal a man who's crippled outside the the temple. We know what happened. Peter preaches this incredible sermon, Acts chapter 2. Thousands of people get saved. He gets dragged before the Sanhedrin. It's a big problem. He's testifying to Jesus, the one you crucified. The Jewish leaders are angry. They don't know what to do with him. They let him go. More people get healed. More sermons are preached. More people come to Christ. Acts chapter 5, this gets to be a big problem. The Sanhedrin arrests these guys, beats them, and they still don't know what to do with them. These are unschooled, ordinary men, full of courage. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Why would these guys pay a price for their faith? They're just fishermen. What is going on inside their lives that makes them this courageous in front of all of this opposition? Their leader's just been killed. Why are they still on this crazy message? The apostles leave in Acts 5. They're flogging, rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Why? Because they looked like Jesus when they suffered. This is an honor. It's an honor to suffer because that's what our leader that's what our leader did. What's the fire revealing in Peter's life? It's revealing genuine faith. 
the real deal. Genuine faith. In front of a church, a new church, brand new disciples, 5,000 of them, they're all watching Peter. How is he going to walk through this fire? And they saw a leader who was willing to submit himself to the Lord and courageously share the gospel. That marked the DNA of the early church. That's genuine faith. Well, 15 years ago, German missionary Tilman Geske was martyred in Turkey. Mutilated, in fact, not just martyred. Him and two other Turkish church leaders. When I heard about that, I was preaching in Saskatoon. Our missionary, Christoph Hagley, had gone to seminary with Tillman in Switzerland, and he shared the email. And I was, I'd never met Tillman Geske, but I was just, I don't know, I was just broken by that. And I just went to prayer. I said, Lord, what, what do we do with this? And I felt the Lord saying, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I don't know. And faith just rose within me to replace that one fallen soldier with 10 more. So I stood in front of that audience that night and I I talked about Tillman Geske's martyrdom and I said, God's calling people to replace him. If you want to give your life to something more than just yourself, I want to invite you to offer yourself to the Lord in his service. Some young people signed up A few years later, we had 10 workers long-term trained and deployed in Turkey. We now have a handful, four church plants in Istanbul, several in Kaisere. At what price? A high price, a high price. Hakan, who leaves our work there in Istanbul, his daughter is studying at Trinity this fall. The Canadian church has an inheritance in this church planting movement in Turkey, but it was birthed out of a incredibly high sacrifice. And when Tillman's wife, Suzanne, stood in front of the TV cameras on Turkish national television, and they said, what's your response? Your husband has just been killed. She looked at the nation of Turkey and she said, we have been forgiven because of the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ. We deserve death ourselves, and Jesus has forgiven us. And because of that great love, we now choose as a family to forgive those who took Tillman's life. And the commentator said what this woman just spoke did more to advance the teaching of Jesus than hundreds of years of work. At what price? A very high price. It's a costly faith. 
Is there any other kind of faith? The New Testament would say, no. This is the only faith there is. Peter would say, this faith is worth it. It's high cost, but it's worth it. Nick Ripkin is the pseudonym for a American missionary who served in Somalia for many years. And in the course of time, he watched the 20 believers, the only 20 believers in the entire country of Somalia, get martyred for their faith. And then his own son died of asthma at the age of 15, 16 in Nairobi. And Nick Ripkin went back to Kentucky and was devastated. Devastated. How do you process this? The church has been wiped out in Somalia. My own son has died. Why? And he convinced the Southern Baptist Mission Board to fund a project for two years to answer that question. And he was given the resources to travel to the persecuted church around the world. And he interviewed hundreds of people in the former Soviet Union, in Russia, in North Africa, in the Middle East, wherever the church is suffering. And he got hundreds and hundreds of testimonies. And he wrote a book called The Insanity of God. And I would 100% recommend that everyone read that book. It's a fascinating book telling story after story of people who have paid an incredible price for their faith. Why? Because they valued faith. And at the end of the book, he says, he starts the book asking why. Why suffering? Why persecution? Why? And at the end of the book, his question is, why not here? Why not everywhere? Because he says, wherever the church is sharing the gospel, the church is suffering. And if you're not suffering, he turns the question in reverse. He says, if you're not suffering, you're not sharing the gospel. An incredible book. Challenged my faith deeply. Peter would say it's normal for us to go through some kind of suffering, some grief in all kinds of trials. Why? to evidence, to display to the world around us the proven genuineness of our faith. So the question is, in our community, in our place of work, in our neighborhood, is the proven genuineness of our faith on display? God's able to redeem even the, the testing and the trials that we've been through in this last year and a half of COVID. God's able to redeem this story to refine and evidence the proven genuineness of his people, their faith. Is that how we're responding to this test? Thirdly, Peter says, these trials, this testing has come so that that our faith of greater worth than gold may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, our faith brings Jesus, brings God more glory than we think. 
This is unto the glory of God. It's going to be revealed. And he says, this will be revealed. Now, when's it going to be revealed? Well, obviously at the return of Christ, when the accounting of all things happens, and the price of every act of obedience is clearly understood and valued, yes. But how about it's revealed in the moment? When you pay a price to follow Jesus, when you go through a test and you humble yourself and you surrender to Christ, you surrender your will to Christ, and you honor Him, and His presence is evident through your response, Jesus is revealed. This brings glory to God. Again, I think of Peter's own story. Church history tells us that he, after a whole lifetime of being chased and persecuted and arrested repeatedly, was eventually taken to Rome and tried before the emperor. His last place of incarceration is the Mamertine prison at the end of the Roman Forum. And if you've ever been to the Roman Forum, it's a pretty imposing, even though it's 2,000 years old, it's a pretty imposing set of ruins. You've got the Colosseum on one end, then you've got this huge avenue with all these massive temples, which are now just obviously ruins, you know, scattered rocks here and there, and some, uh, you know, some arches and that kind of thing. At the end of it was their judicial center, and there was a prison. The prison had functioned for 600 years prior to Peter's and Paul's incarceration in it. And the prison is simply a cistern that's been converted into a prison cell. So it's a hole in the ground. You see that hole there in the floor? That's the entrance to the cell. They lower you down into the hole, it's a wet, dark, horrible place. That's where Peter spent the last days of his life before he was crucified at his request upside down because he did not want to, uh, he, was not, he felt he was not worthy to follow in the crucifixion of Jesus. He said, I, 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 I want to go upside down. Church history also tells us that he led two Roman soldiers to Christ who were guarding him. And they themselves, once it was discovered that they had confessed Jesus as Lord and not Caesar, they were, they were executed as well. He baptized them in that Amartine hole, that prison cave hole. This man was faithful to the end. We're reading his letter today because he finished well. This is, these are the stories that our faith is based on. Ultimately, it's based on Jesus who gave his life and followed the will of our Father unto death and showed us how to live by faith. A faith that is more valuable than we think. It's more costly than we think. And it gives God more glory than we think. Let's pray together.
Father, my mind is turning this morning to the parts of the church where suffering is clearly understood as normal. My friends who are paying a price for following you. And I'm reminded, Lord, that this is our choice here today as well. And we just confess we often avoid the testing of our faith, the sharing of our faith. And we often think about our own security, and I do, Lord, rather than your glory. I thank you for reminding me of that this morning. I thank you that the weight of your glory, your doxa is heavier than gold. It's heavier than the weight of grief, and it's heavier than anything else we'll ever go through. And I ask, Lord, that your glory would become increasingly our goal. Give us courage, Lord Jesus, to be clear in our witness and our testimony in our families in this community amongst the nations. For your glory in Jesus' name.